0: January 1 2024 It's half past five I'm doing circuits of Princess Park Melbourne, Australia Yeah So this one's for you When you came for dinner I asked if you were happy with chicken sandwiches and uh, pumpkin soup. And you said, sure. <laughs> uh, it's my fallback option for. Yeah. Not knowing complete preferences of all my guests, I default to chicken sandwiches so um, pumpkin soup this is the Stephanie Alexander pumpkin soup it's been shared with other people in other countries and they've gone mmm that's interesting so essentially it's pumpkin but um, the flavor comes from Thai red curry uh, bottled sauce all right so how do you how do you do it so If you are making soup for six people, let's say, I serve small quantities of soup, most people don't like soup. They go, hmm, what is this? (laughs) So until they taste it, when it's salty and spicy, and they go, oh, can I have a bit more? And I'll say, no, (laughs) it's over. So for six people, half a pumpkin, um, quarter, it depends on how much soup you want to make okay we're not going to do quantities in this recipe we're going to do process Um, you can figure out quantities yourself by looking at the description section where I might put some more information about this so so you have this pumpkin and um, I put the pumpkin it's it's usually half the pumpkin so I put it down on a wooden board and use a knife to to clean off the skin Uh, pumpkin skin's become something else so I'm a Tamil so they become a chutney which can be delicious but that's going off topic so you don't need the skin and then you scoop out the seeds then you chop the pumpkin small if you chop them really small then uh, the next stage becomes a bit quicker so you've got the pumpkins on one side and then I usually put a bit of garlic so These are sort of indigenous, large Australian garlic and um, maybe two cloves, they tend to be quite big. Smash them, take off the skin, Um, yeah, and just put it in because it'll get blitz, so garlic doesn't really matter. I don't put anything else, but sometimes people put um, onions, so you might want to saute the onions to start the soup off. But if you are the onion type person, then you probably also add uh, potatoes, one big potato for, for getting the body. Because the pumpkin by itself is quite sweet, and the potato sort of cuts off a little bit of the body. Um, yeah, but potatoes, they're not a thing now. Uh, there's the news is out that potatoes are going to be declassified they're not going to be vegetables anymore they're going to be something else so we don't know what because all the good stuff in the potatoes in the skin the rest of the potatoes are nothing apparently Um, if you don't want to use potatoes the second option is to use flour so you can use rice flour and it does thicken up the soup i find that just pumpkins are okay you don't need the thickening sometimes you want might want to thicken it a little bit all right um, especially if you're using quite a lot of uh, pre-made stock that you have and so the soup is largely the stock with the vegetables in it and that's a different way of doing it in this particular one we're not going to use too much stock or any such thing it's going to be just uh, bar mixed vegetable so we don't need a thickener in that sense All right, so what have we got? We've got garlic. Uh, We're not doing the the onions and potatoes. We've got garlic and we've got the pumpkin, and they're ready. So yeah, you start up the hob, put on your skillet, dutch oven, whatever you want to make the soup in, and a splash of oil, put in the garlic, um, throw in the pumpkin, and then stir it to coat the pumpkin. Um, You could start with garlic and then Thai red curry paste. I usually try to bring in the paste a bit later because it sputters too much and then it makes a big big mess in the kitchen. So what I usually do is I'll do the garlic and I'll do the pumpkin. Then I'll push them to one side and make a little bit of space so that just enough for a, a tablespoon or two of Thai red curry paste and so that it heats up a little bit. And and then I'll stir that and then stir it in all together with the pumpkin and so on. So yeah, so that part is done. And um, at this point, you want to add some water to keep it completely vegetarian. If you're not a vegetarian or if you've got some vegetable stock, you can use the stock at this point. Best not to use store-bought stock because... Um, we're not actually going out and making this into an expensive dish or we're not i'm going to tell you about so. so the pumpkin i buy my pumpkin from the distressed aisle of my vegetable vendor at preston market so she's got all her vegetables and then the ones that have started rotting off on the side like pears she'll slice off the part that's going bad and and then there'll be a bunch of these sliced pears. And I usually buy those sliced pears because they're really, really good pears. Uh, nothing wrong with them. Um, and they're fantastic for stewing. Similarly, her pumpkins, she'll have pumpkins on the side, which are sort of a bit old or um, they, look, they don't look the best. And it'll be uh, at a very low price, which is important, which is what we're doing. Um, yeah, so then you put in the stalk or the water into that. How much quantity? Well, if you want a very runny sort of a soup, then you put more of the water. If you want something thick, and then you want to add coconut milk later on to thin it a bit, which is what I do, then you don't need a lot of water. You just need it so that the pumpkin's cooked. That's done, you cap it, leave it for a bit. When it's cooked, let it cool down a bit, and uh, you bar mix the whole lot, at which point uh, some decent, preferably Indonesian coconut milk in cans Uh, I I Need half a can so I go for these uh, smaller cans not the 300 ml one, but the 150 ml one or something like that Yeah, you stir it and the pumpkin soup is ready. So there's no dairy in the soup and You can of course add cream later on You can add cream, you can add croutons, you can do a whole bunch of things. I don't do any of those things. I serve it as is, without anything. So that's my recipe for the pumpkin soup. Um, And then I served you chicken sandwiches, which are a staple now. (laughs) And it started doing this when I have students or ex-students over Honor students, or something like that, and I'll say, I'm making chicken sandwiches, and they go, ooh, and yeah, they inhale it and it just disappears. So, obviously, they're quite a hit. So, the chicken sandwiches, calls roast chicken, that's $12 for a whole chicken. I take out the skin and the tie and things like that because all of that is the kind of stuff the cat loves. So, I'm left with the breast. Chop up the breast very finely, put it in a bowl. And then you'll need a whole egg, traditional whole egg mayonnaise. That's what I use. You could try it with other sorts of mayonnaise, the non-dairy ones too. I've got a traditional egg one that I've settled on. Uh, It gives me the right kind of body. It's got, um, it's already flavored with, I think sugar and salt and stuff like that. So it gives quite a lovely taste to the sandwich. So you've got that in there, finely chopped chicken the mayonnaise and then initially I was sort of looking for a slightly subtle taste so I would use chives and then I've got parsley growing in the backyard so then I started making it with parsley then I've also got mint growing in the backyard so the last one the one I served you was uh, parsley and mint finely chopped and put in and then I'd been worrying about was the fact that I hadn't been making pesto for a while. So my pine nuts were aging, so I needed to use them up. So I put some pine nuts, um, uh, roughly sort of pounded them and put them into the chicken. So there was a crunchy element to it. Yeah, so you just mix it up. Um, For the bread, I don't directly put the mix onto the bread. I actually, because I use um, olive butter, I butter both sides and I use sourdough and um, yeah so that's it so then the filling is added the sandwiches are made they're stacked up I put cling film around it wrap it up in a cloth furoshiki and put it away in the fridge for whenever somebody wants a snack so when you came over I said if you're ready for dinner I'll make the sandwiches so I took it out took out the sandwich toaster heated up the sandwich toaster Put in the sandwiches and toasted it hot and crisp and then cut it into triangles and serve it with tomato ketchup and a peri-peri sort of savory ketchup with it so that was the dinner you've got the recipe <laughs> and we haven't started the podcast <laughs> so, so welcome to learner center design education i'm your host Samitri Varadharajan this is the first day of new year and I haven't done very much today Um, but I said I would do this as a gift I would do this podcast as a voice note as a letter as a letter to someone to you who asked me the question so I'm gonna make this upload it and then I'll send it to you in a message with a link saying hey I made a podcast for you so it's a microcast or a unicast it's a podcast for just one person so if you, if it's not for you and you blundered in here feel free to listen I mean you you've got two recipes to take away um, all right so learner Center design education the topic of today's podcast is um, can you tell me about a master's by research and a PhD so it's a question and I said, sure, um, here's, here's how it works. And uh, thank you for asking me that question. We did sort of sit over dinner and discuss this. It was 10 o'clock by the time we finished. So uh, obviously we spoke for three hours and there was a lot that was clarified. But um, this is then just an attempt to pick up all the things I said and put it into a podcast. All right, so there is a thing called Masters by Research, so you go to school and then you go to university and at the end of the university you have a bachelor's degree and after the bachelor's you go to a masters. So there are two kinds of masters, there is a masters by coursework which means you do subjects and you write exams or do papers or projects or whatever and and, your, and everybody is doing the same thing. Everybody is doing those kinds of uh, studios or courses. So it's like the undergrad but at the masters level and if it is in industrial design then it's a masters in industrial design. So it's a particular kind of thing. Um, now in addition to the masters by coursework there is another pathway in masters called masters by research and that Leads you not into more knowledge but into doing a project so it's a bit like a capstone project, but only this capstone project kind of project lasts for two years. so you have your own topic it's a topic that you want to do you have your own topic um, you have your own methodology, you have a supervisor and um, yeah so so over the past. It's, it's exactly 20 years and one month since I moved to Australia. And in this period, I have been a supervisor to six master's by research students. Now, master's by research was more prevalent in my school, in my life, or in my career, um, let's say 20 years ago or 15 years ago. Uh, more recently, I haven't had Masters by Research students. And I think initially I stopped having Masters by Research students because there was a capacity issue. I was supervising PhDs and I didn't have any space to take on any more students. Or there was a priority to take on PhD students because there were not that many PhD supervisors available. So the number of masters by research students dropped off. Masters by research is actually quite a good thing. It is very common. most you know, Every university potentially has a masters by research. Um, sometimes in technical places they would advertise masters by research. So there is a project somebody wants done um, or there's a research grant and then you've built in a masters by research for somebody to come and work on it. It's, um, it's a tighter uh, project. It's two years and uh, yeah and and it's it's uh, it doesn't necessarily lead into uh, you don't go into the labor market necessarily so uh, professional education has uh, a very strong coding that you're doing the professional education so that you get a job so you will go and look for employment you know and so you'll see advertisements from universities saying we produce job ready graduates and so on so there is a sense that the education is you know utilitarian so you need knowledge and then you need quite a lot of knowledge so that your the kinds of jobs that you can potentially apply for are quite wide or you're exploring your interests or things like that masters by research is not uh, putting you back into the labor market if anything it is it, it, you are doing it because you've got a taste for research or you've got a taste for self-initiated work or you're you're interested in building stuff or you are potentially also in a pathway to go into more research degrees because the next degree after the ph after the masters would be the PhD so it's another level and um, it's a pipeline of the... Did I say six? It's actually, I've just calculated, it's seven master's students and of the seven master's students, uh, one, two, three of them, it's possible half of them actually converted into a PhD. So so there is a uh, the university uh, will will I mean supervisors do you can hear them saying this is such a you're doing so much work This is amazing what you're doing. Maybe you, you ought to convert it into a PhD. Maybe you have to convert it into a PhD So there is a thing that uh, Masters and PhD are sort of concatenated in this particular model. So masters by itself is a thing Masters by itself um, can potentially mean that you become eligible to get into a PhD. So then the master's is as a separate topic. And then you say, no, I don't want to do this topic. I want to do a completely different PhD. Then you want to do a fresh new PhD. And that also happens. There are people who say, I want to close my master's, and that's not going on. I've got a different idea for my PhD, or I want to go to a different university, or I want, I'm want, i looking for a paid PhD position overseas, or something like that. So there's a whole series of uh, life uh, and pathway conversations that happen that define whether your master's ends uh, in two years as a master's by research or whether it at some point uh, comes into a conversation of why aren't you why aren't you making it into a PhD so you can port into a PhD so some of the students have ported into a PhD. So, uh, and then the other topic that came up was what are these things called universities? Um, And I was making a point that um, at some point um, people started getting more and more educated and more and more people started seeking education and more and more people started seeking higher and higher levels of education. Um, It is a fact that uh, universities are not shops. They look like shops but they're not. So uh, there was a time in Australia when universities were free and then slowly they've sort of become you pay for your education kind of thing and um, if you're an Australian citizen the pay thing is sort of hidden um, or deferred. but there is a cost to that education, and you have to pay back um, over a period of time. You don't have to pay up front. But if you're an international student, you would have to pay up front. Then it is a financial transaction. So the reason I say that is I think uh, when you go into the Masters by Research and the PhD, uh, suddenly it doesn't look very corporate, the culture doesn't look very corporate, it is uh, hypothetically uh, a a more sort of not-for-profit, altruistic, or, you know, going for a moonshot, you're looking at uh, solving problems, or coming up with new vaccines or something, and not driven then by the profit motive. There is a monetization of human time and that does come into the masters and PhD but the, the better way to think about it is that if somebody is passionate about something then and approaches you then uh, if you give them a place to conduct a project uh, follow their idea their lead their research and and you know come up with something a new invention a new patent a new gizmo um, then it is what is expected that will happen in these sort of research projects, master's research projects or PhD research projects. Because the alternative is that uh, there's a level of pointlessness to a topic that somebody chooses for their master's or PhD, it doesn't go anywhere. Uh, it might go to a publication outcome or somebody's doing the PhD so that they can get an academic job or something like that um, whereas the pure Masters by Research is I think I've got a, a research-based uh, program of uh, figuring something out um, you know almost the way like a startup venture kind of culture uh, the, the research projects have that they tend to be built like ventures, they have a finite budget, they have a work plan, they have a you know, a group of people involved in it and if it's a really fantastic idea and the the Masters is not enough time then you port it into a PhD and there could be other industry involvement through this whole process So, so it is quite common, there are YouTube videos that talk about do they talk about Masters and PhDs in a philosophical way; those ones I have to find, or in a cultural way. Most of them will talk to you about, you know, how to do well in your masters or how to do well in your PhD. So they're sort of self-help kind of videos, but we're not in the self-help kind of space in this conversation. We're in a, you know, what about uh, making these research pro- projects completely authentic? Uh, and transformative, transformative for the individual, or transformative for human society. Yeah, so, while the the, the masters by research have a finite amount of time, which is, they are for two years, they do extend because uh, it's research, and it flows, so it might extend beyond two years. Uh, Some PhDs similarly are a three-year program. And everybody tries to say that it should be done within three years, otherwise we're using too much resources. But um, you can't typically bottle research projects into finite amounts of time. But we could say that a PhD is three years, a master's two years, and if you do one for two years and then you jump and do the other one for three years, so that's the total amount of time. If you're doing your master's for one and a half years, then the committee, the panel will decide that if you're going to convert it to a PhD, would you do another year and a half or two years or something like that. So so those are conversations about time, progress, quantum of work uh, that come up later on. This is a, it's not set in stone. I think the policy instruments will set it in stone but uh, in the way we're talking about it now, uh, these are uh, placemaking, this is a placemaking conversation saying, w- you are asking if, if you can come and hang out, and my response is, yeah, and these are some sort of places, a masters is a place you can hang out, and then after that, the PhD is a place that you can hang out, which then gives you entry into universities, where you can go and do more research, and uh, continue on for the rest of your life the building, projects, and outcomes, and impacts, and things like that. I think for now, this is sufficient. What I had said to you was that uh, I'll put you in touch with uh, some past uh, students or graduates who've done masters and PhD and things like that. I will do that. That's something you will meet people. But potentially, we're going to be in a holiday space till March so uh, maybe I'll actually sketch out another episode where I'll describe different kinds of PhDs and that will then give you a sense of how do you construct a research project for a master's if you are uh, going to think about it typically after this first question this this dinner we have uh, what happens is um, the prospective masters or PhD student will say hmm that's really interesting do I want to go and do this? (laughs) Do I want to make a commitment? What are all the kinds of questions? And I would usually say go and talk to a lot of people and give it some time, you know, uh, give it a few months maybe uh, six months or one year or whatever but generally think about it, get excited and we can have another conversation. So we will have another conversation. This one this particular podcast episode is for you is to jog your memory so you can keep this saying so what did we talk about and these were some of the things we talked about and I'll try and add to you a few stories of uh, people who've been on this journey and the kinds of things they've done okay so uh, that's it from me for now the wind is picked up. It's a cold wind. 22 degrees feels like 20. Welcome to Melbourne. All right. Sayonara. See ya.